Before we get into our study tonight, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word and your people and your doctrine, and we pray your blessing on this evening's service uh, and all those who've come out tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We were on page uh, 17 uh, last time, and we were talking about uh, uh, Ernest Pickering in his, uh, in his uh, biblical doctrine of separation. Uh, list the following reasons to separate from someone. He said, first of all, if a believer is teaching false doctrine and refuses to be corrected, then we've got to break, break away from them. If they persist in, in fault, faulty doctrine, uh, we have no business uh, fellowshipping with people that are pursuing a doctrine that is, that is demonic. And that gets real interesting because um, you come across people that are caught up in false religious doctrine uh, and you have to think that through. Well, how, how do we really want to snuggle up to these uh, people or not? I'll tell you a story. I'm glad uh, we have Raquel here. I'll tell you a story Delwin in, uh, told me down in Peru. You know, when he was down there in Peru, him and Techi, uh, they didn't have a lot of missionary friends that they could actually consult with. And, and ultimately, uh, one of the friends they had was uh, given over to the charismatic movement. And uh, he got to a point where he said, you know what? Uh, even though this means uh, we're going to have to not, uh, we're going to have to break off fellowship here uh, from someone that would be classified, I guess, as a missionary. Uh, he said we have to do it because it was just uh, not consistent with what is solid in the scriptures. And, uh, and there are times when those kinds of decisions need to be made. If a person's challenged with the truth, refuses to embrace the truth, then you're dealing with someone that has dug their heels in into something false. And therefore, you have to be very careful about uh, fellowshipping and, and hanging out and, 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 and associating with that individual. Secondly, he said, if a professing believer is walking in immorality. Now, immorality is certainly a sin that is uh, uh, discussed specifically in Scripture. And if someone is persisting in immorality, then there's no question on that issue. There's a break that needs to be made, and separation needs to be made. Thirdly, we saw, if by cooperating with a believer, we would become partaker of wrongdoing. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that a little later tonight, so I won't say much more on that. Where we left off last time was reason number four. And that is, if the professing believer is walking in a disruptive manner. And I'd like you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Because this is the disruptive manner that Paul is contextually addressing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse uh, 6. Here's what we read. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner uh, among you. Now that's one of the criteria there. You would be an undisciplined kind of person. Second, uh, go on verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model to you that we might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like a busybody. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat uh, their own bread. But 
as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame and yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, the context of this is that there were some people refusing to get a job. And they were persisting in a lifestyle that was just uh, refusing to work. And Paul said, now look, the whole mandate is that a person needs to work for a living, do something for a living. And, uh, and therefore, he said, if you see a person who's persisting, who says they're a brother, who says they're a believer, they're persisting and refusing to get a job, then you need to, you need to keep aloof from that person. You need to separate from that individual. Now, of course, if you put that in the present-day context... We have a lot of people out of work, and uh, a lot of people, some of the people who are out of work would be people who would love the Lord. The principle, as I would view it, would be, is that person trying to get a job? Is the person uh, doing the best they can? They're applying for jobs, they're trying to search out uh, possible options so that they could get a job. Uh, that's not necessarily saying a person refuses to work, that's a person who's looking for work. It would be the kind of person who wouldn't even look for work. They're just sitting around doing nothing and they don't intend to ever pursue getting a job. That's the kind of person you need to break from and that's exactly the kind of person Paul is talking about. Now there are six biblical questions that we can ask when it comes to the matter of separation that are legitimate biblical questions. First of all, if we continue to fellowship with this brother or sister, am I a companion of one who fears God and truly desires to keep his precepts? Now, I want you to go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Now, here's what the psalmist writes. In Psalm 119, verse 63, here's what we read. Psalm 119, verse 63. I am a companion of all those who fear thee and of those who keep thy precepts. Now, the best companions that you'll ever have in life are people who love the Lord and love the Word of God. Uh, and, and I want you to notice they're after the precepts of the Word of God. They're interested in what says the Scriptures. We're not talking about the legalistic opinions of man-made traditions and rules. Those aren't good companions to be around because they're going to drag you down. He's talking about people who love the precepts of, precepts of God people who actually were wanting to know the Word of God so they could make uh, proper application and decisions based on the Scriptures. Uh, the psalmist says, look, I'm a companion of those kinds of people. They have a reverence for God. They fear God. They love the Word of God. They love to understand it so they can, uh, they can make decisions based on it. And so what we would need to ask ourselves, if I continue to fellowship with this brother or sister, is this brother or sister a good companion who really wants to know the Scriptures, or are they just off in their own little world and uh, their own little arena of religious thought? Because good people, com good companions, want to know the Word of God. Secondly, can I truly honor God with my fellowship with this brother or sister, uh, or is this one who's not really interested in the Word or will of God? Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Can I honor God with my fellowship with this brother or sister, or is this one who's not truly interested in the word or will of God? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we read, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, this would certainly be a question worthy of asking. Can I have this relationship to the glory of God? That's certainly a valid 
question to ask. And if a person is moving in the right ways and trying to develop and blossom in the things of the Lord after the Word of God, then you can say, yes, I can, I can glorify God that. Now, the third question is, if we fellowship with this person, do we aid in encouraging them to continue to walk on a path of disobedience? Do we aid in encouraging them to walk on a path of disobedience? Now, I want to go over to 1 Timothy 5, and I want to talk about this for just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We read in verse 22, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily, and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Now, I personally believe that um, the, the admonition that's being given here is you don't select leaders quickly. You, you, you are very careful in watching men over a period of time before you put them into a responsibility of, of leadership. And the reason why you don't want to uh, select them quickly is because uh, they can also, if you do, they can become puffed up and they can become proud of their position and they can actually get involved in, in sinning. And I'll tell you a classic story that I personally know of that happened years ago in Grand Rapids, Michigan. There was a guy who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, some people have a zeal that is just exciting to see. Uh, but zeal, not according to knowledge, uh, can be a real dangerous thing. But this person had a zeal. He loved the Lord. He just came to faith in Jesus Christ. And right away, instead of the church saying, now you need to sit down and we need to teach you some things. You need to learn. You need to grow. You need to come to terms with doctrine. You need to understand what you believe. You need to understand what just happened here. There's a lot of theology that just went down when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, instead of them doing that, they saw the zeal and said, let's put him in a position of leadership. So they just immediately, because here's a guy zealous, put him in a position of leadership. Here's what it did to the guy. The guy's thinking, I must be a real special agent of God. I come to faith in Jesus Christ. The next thing you know, the church is putting me in a position of leadership. And that started to go to his head. So he didn't even really necessarily know the scriptures on various issues, but he thought he was of God because they put him in this position. So as a result of that, he's leading the church based on his own views and opinions on whatever the issue was. And some of those views and opinions that he held were actually contrary to the word of God. But the problem was, he was proud now because he's in this position, and you had a big mess on your hands. I say to you, the thing became a sin issue. He became proud, he became arrogant, it caused tremendous problems in the church, and finally they had to deal with the issue, and there were people who had laid hands hastily on this fella that were all connected and culpable for what happened in the church. I think that's exactly what uh, Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's saying, don't lay hands too hastily on someone. You watch them over a period of time. You make sure they've been proven, faithful, and stable in the things of the Lord. You, 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 you listen to their doctrine. You, you watch what's going on in their lives. You see their commitment to Jesus Christ and their faithfulness through a process of things. And, and because you don't want to, in any way, be a partaker uh, of someone that's disobedient or someone that's becoming prouder arrogant. Now the fourth question is, will my cooperation with this person or organization give the impression that I condone a lackadaisical attitude toward the apostasy or sin and send a message that I do not really fear the Lord and hate the evil? Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 8. 
Proverbs chapter 8. And notice verse 13. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. I think there's a real good question to ask here. If I cooperate with this person or organization? Is this a person or organization moving in a way that really is after the word of God, really wants to understand the things of the Lord, or are they moving off in some, some area that's, that's lax, some area that's contrary to scripture, uh, getting off into arenas they have no business getting off into? Uh, there are some churches right now that, uh, frankly, are making decisions that are contrary to the Word of God. And I could cite a lot of examples of this, where they're putting uh, people in positions that the Scriptures clearly say they shouldn't. For example, there should not be women ministers, pure and simple. Now, you can have your views all you want, but the fact is the Scriptures say it shouldn't be. In a context of corporate worship, a woman should not be leading the men and teaching the flock in a corporate congregation of worship. That's just just what the Bible says. And yet there are churches that go, well, it's just cute. Let's just find, let's just put them up there because it seems to be the real stylish thing to do in society. Well, the fact of the matter is it's contrary to the word of God. So if you cooperate with that, if you condone that or you associate with that, you're actually involved in, in this whole process. And I know a person that actually came to this church because of that very issue right there, because the church they were in was starting to support that. Uh, they started coming to this church. They started sitting under the word of God. One day, the man walked right up to me. He said, now, what's the view here of the church on this issue? I had no idea where he was coming from. And I took him right to the scriptures. I said, our position is a woman should not be a pastor of a church. There is no way God sanctions that at all. And I took him to several passages. He said, well, then, praise God, I found the right church. And ultimately, he left uh, an organization that he was in that was stumbling around. So this is the kind of thing where a separation needed to be made. He needed to make a break from a religious system that was moving in a wrong way. Now, the fifth question is, will others who I influence be tempted to further compromise or be confused or weakened in their testimony because of my action to fellowship? Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 8, 12 says, And thus by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. This is an admonition that we have to be careful uh, as to uh, what we're doing when we're around other brothers and sisters in the Lord, because if we don't know who the weaker ones or stronger ones are, we could actually influence them in a very negative way, and we have to be careful about doing that. Because if we were to cause them to go off on a, an area that's sinful, then we're actually partaking of the sinful issue. So that would mean, at times, we would need to uh, forfeit our liberty for the sake of a weaker brother or sister in the Lord, simply because we don't want to offend them or be the cause of them perhaps getting into something they just can't handle. So we need to be very careful in the use of Christian liberty. Now the sixth question is, what long-range effects will this fellowship have? One person wisely said this, never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. I like that. Never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Think things through. Think things through carefully. Think things through biblically. And, uh, and think things through in a, in a, in a way that's sound. 
uh, and make separatist decisions based on uh, careful analysis of the scriptures. Now, the first type of separation was personal separation. We all need to be personally separated from sinful things. We all need to make personal choices in our own lives, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do, who we're going to run with, who we're not going to run with. Those are personal things. Then the second type was ecclesiastical separation, and that is uh, you're making a break from systems of uh, churches that are moving in ways contrary to the word of God. You, there's a, there's a big movement on, uh, right now, ecumenical movement that we're all just one big happy religious family and, uh, uh, we have to make decisions. No, we're not one big happy family. Uh, we have certain doctrinal things that we believe in, and we're not going to promote uh, some big happy ecumenical mindset uh, when there are churches teaching things that are false. We're not going to just give in and say, well, that's just fine. Just go and enjoy yourself. We're not going to promote that. So that's ecclesiastical separation. Now, the third type of separation we want to talk about a little bit is there is church separation from other churches. Church separation from other churches. Now, I want you to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. In the book of Revelation, in the Great Tribulation, there is a description of a religious harlot that is going to lure many and ultimately be completely destroyed by God. I believe, along with many, that we're talking about the Islamic religion. That's why I think that Islamic religion right now is on the rise in almost every country in the nation. I think this is ultimately going to prove to be the Babylonian harlot that uh, is going to be destroyed by, by God. Now, the admonition that is given to God's people in the tribulation uh, is found in Revelation 18.4. Revelation 18.4. And when you look at Revelation 18.4... Here's what God says to his own people who've obviously come to faith after the rapture. They're in the uh, later stages of the tribulation. They've survived to this point. And in Revelation 18:4 we read, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. Now, it's very clear that God says in the tribulation, when I start pouring out my judgment on religion, on this religion, and on religious institution that is false, he says to his people who are on earth at that time, you don't want to be connected to that. You don't want to be anywhere around that. You don't want to in any way be associated with that false system of religion that I intend to level. Now we know that this very same principle that shows up in the tribulation in Revelation also shows up in the church age, specifically, this same kind of revelation was given to the Corinthian church. And Paul admonished that church to have nothing to do with religious systems that are corrupt and demonic. He said, you don't, you don't participate with them. Now let's uh, take you to some passages. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice in verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20. No, but I say the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. 
And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Now, some of these Corinthian believers were just thinking it was just all cute for them to go up to some of those uh, heathen religious services and just listen in. Just go in there and then just partake of what they have. They, they knew theology that in Christ they were forever a child of God and they thought, well, it's no big deal if I just go to this religious service. And Paul said, don't you understand something? When you go to a service that is not focused on the truth of God, you're going into that which is demonic. You're, you're not partaking of something of God. You're partaking something of demonic because Satan is behind every single false system of religion. That's his main tactic of keeping people away from the truth. He uses religion to keep people away from the written word of God and the truth of God. Now let's go over to 2 Corinthians. Paul picks up on this same principle in the, uh, in the second letter that he writes to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and you'll notice in verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be uh, sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Stay away from those ideas idolatrous religious places. Then let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And notice verses 3 and 4, and then verses 13 to 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 to 4. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. And he says in verse 5, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to be most eminent of the apostles. Now drop down to verse 15. Therefore, it is not surprising... If his servants, that is Satan's, let's start at verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Years ago, when I taught at the Grand Rapids School of Bible Music, there was a teacher who was teaching a course on church history. No, it wasn't church history. It was, uh, I, I don't remember what the course was, but I do remember we were in a, a faculty meeting and this uh, person brought up, well, I like to send the students out just to go to any kind of church just so they can observe it and see what's going on to make a report. And I said, I disagree with that totally. And the person said, why? I said, you're sending them into demonic territory. When you go into some false religious service, you're just not going into the land of Oz. You're going into the land of Satan. And satanic forces are there, and they're very real. Just as when you come to a true church, the angelic forces are here, the presence of the Spirit of God is here. When you go into a false 
system of religion. You have demonic forces that you're marching right into. And I don't know what the ramifications are completely, but I don't believe that God thinks it's cute when his people willingly, of their own volition, walk into demonic territory and just say, let's just go because this will be some type of religious experience. That's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And Paul said, don't you understand something? This is satanic stuff that's going on. These people that are up there talking, they appear to be so pious and so religious and so moral. And they have these little ditties that they're sharing. These are Satan's emissaries. They're not preaching the whole truth of God. They're just preaching whatever they want. They're saying whatever they want. So we need to be careful about what we're doing when it comes to church. A church or a person who presents another gospel other than the pure grace of God in Christ Jesus, is to be a curse, not befriended. Do you see that? Now, some people just don't get this point. The person who preaches another gospel, another of a different kind of gospel, that's heteros there, another of a different kind of gospel, is to be a curse, not befriended. Somehow, some people are duped into thinking, we're supposed to just get along fine with people who are going door to door, sharing heresy that's taking people to hell. And we should just let them because they're so good and interesting and they're so interested in people. And we should just be kind and just loving when in fact we should, they should be accursed. They are accursed by God and we ought to tell them that. When a church or religion is spotted, which is not carefully and clearly or accurately presenting the word of God, it should be marked and it should be avoided. You do not give these people a greeting. You do not let them into your home. And some people apparently think it's just okay to sit down with false religious people and have some big dialogue so that we can just get to understand where they're coming from and they can understand where we're coming from. Look, they're preaching another Jesus Christ. They're to be accursed. You don't want dialogue with that kind of people. They deny the Lord who bought your soul. And a believer is expected by God to identify and separate himself from heretical churches, religious institutions, and religious teachings. And you know what? I believe that the Spirit of God, well, I know the Spirit of God indwells every single believer, and so if that believer is in any way in tune with the Holy Spirit, they've got to know when they're in some place that is just not true. When we came to, first came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I'll close with this story, back in the 70s, uh, the mid-70s, I did not know beams about doctrine. I, I hadn't been trained in doctrine. I didn't know anything about really church life at that point, other than when I was a little boy, I was made to go to church. And so one night, I, uh, we read that there was in this town going to be this... Uh, a witch that had been saved and was going to talk. And uh, so I thought, at that time, I didn't know the doctrine of angels. I didn't know the doctrine of demons. I didn't know the doctrine of God. I didn't know anything. But we decided that we would go. And uh, so we went to this church, and I walk in there, not knowing anything, but I'm going, boy, something, I don't know what's here, but there's something, it's, there's, 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 it's wrong. I, I, I just know. But we sat down, and, uh, and ultimately, um, uh, the service went on, and then I see somebody stand up in the service, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? And, uh, and they start standing up, and they're holding their hands up, and then another person stands up, and, and they start uh, turning around. And, and, and I said to Mary, I said, we're getting out of here right now. 
we're getting up and we're walking out of here right now. We were sitting down in the front, too. And we walked right down the center, too. It wasn't like you could just slide out to the aisle. And we got right. Now, I didn't know that, but I believe the Spirit of God do it. And I believe the Spirit of God was saying, uh, look, this is not good. This, this, there's something wrong here. There's something evil here. Now, you get out of here. And I believe that God expects his people to make decisions of separation. And I believe his spirit will work in harmony when those separations need to be made. Now, as I know the Bible and know doctrine, well, I can see that clearly. I would have never gone to the place in the, to it in the first place. But, but I didn't know it then. So uh, we'll stop here for our, our uh, study tonight. Any questions or comments?